another episode of the most important podcast in the universe that is the most important podcast in the universe that is the Road to Road football podcast my name is josh norris here later on with patrick doherty roto pat talk about sunday's games but because that's how the days of the week were told to us we start off with saturday games and that means evan silva you can find evan's matchups column over at roto world all four of the games are covered Evan, let's start with the Titans at the Chiefs. I believe it mm-hmm. is a nine-point spread. Um, what do the Chiefs have to do in order to win this game? Um, I think that the Chiefs are likely to control this game um, as a team that has really done a great job of limiting opponent scoring at Arrowhead. 14 straight games holding their opponents to 20 points or fewer. Uh, I think that the biggest weaknesses in the Titans defense are uh, their ability to cover RBs coming out of the backfield in the passing game. Uh, They gave up the most receiving yards in the NFL to opposing running backs Mm. uh, over the course of the regular season. And in their last two games, they gave up Todd Gurley and Leonard Fournette's uh, season highs in receiving yards. Leonard Fournette made a bunch of great plays in the passing game last week against the Titans. The Titans were very good at limiting big plays in the passing game in general, however, uh, allowed the third fewest 20 plus yard completions. Uh, they had, they gave up some big games to tight ends. Uh, they gave up some big games to slot receivers so theoretically, they are fairly well equipped to handle someone like Tyree Kill. However, that is still, you know, Tyree Kill is someone that has been able to overcome a lot of factors working against him uh, throughout his short NFL career. You know, whether it be not a lot of targets in the passing game, he has still been able to produce, whether it be, you know, being a fifth round pick, I mean, just every aspect of Tyree kill, he breaks the system. So I'm not saying that he's definitely going to have a slower game, but in theory, this is a defense that is good at limiting big plays. Tyree kill is a big playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we are going to see the Titans match up in man coverage. Uh, Kevin Byard on um, Travis Kelsey. Uh, there was a game earlier in the season where the Titans played it was way early in the season, uh, and it was a game uh, the Titans played against Jimmy Graham, and Ke- Kevin Byard was on him uh, all game. Later in the season, the Titans didn't use Kevin Byard uh, to match up specifically with tight ends, and they gave up a bunch of big games to tight ends. Um, but I, my guess is that they will stick Kevin Byard. Kevin Byard has been excellent. Very by good the way, I think he was player. a guy that you. I think he was a guy that you liked coming out of college, right? Middle. Yeah, Tennessee. and and I, I tweeted about it this week. I mean, what a pick by John Robinson, because I believe he was pick like 65, 66, something like that, very early in the third round, I believe, or was it even the second round? Anyways, the reason it was a crazy selection is because he wasn't a combine invite. And and you rarely see players not invited to the combine be taken uh, that early. He was Middle Tennessee State, so he's a local guy, yada, yada. Um, but he's really turned into a, 
a really nice player. And I'll give credit to Titans fans. Like last year uh, during draft season, you know, a lot of people thought that Malik Hooker would be a top 10 selection. And I think that a – and Jamal Adams as well, um, and he was. Uh, but a, a common train of thought was one of those safeties, especially Malik Hooker, to the Titans. Um, and everyone said, no, 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 Kevin Byard, Kevin Byard. Um, and obviously Kevin Byard has certainly stepped up this year. Um, I feel like yeah. there was a stretch at the end of the season, Evan, where, where this pass rush started playing pretty well too. Had, had a number of games with high sack totals. Yeah, the the Titans did. Yeah, absolutely. The, and the Titans, they're a high blitz percentage team. They finished uh, they finished ninth in the NFL in blitz rate. And Alex Smith, among qualified passers, you know, p- passers who had enough attempts, etc. Alex Smith had the third worst passer rating against the blitz. So that is one uh, potential tactical advantage that the Titans may have over the Chiefs uh, in their ability to put up big points against the Titans. Ultimately, I think that the Chiefs' offense is going to play well in this game. Uh, and, you know, as I spoke about a little bit earlier, I, I would like to see them get Kareem Hunt heavily involved in the passing game. Watch those that, that Leonard Fournette, that, Turley, that Todd Gurley game in the final two weeks of the regular season, which were both very meaningful for the Titans. Uh, and, you know, I hope that Matt Nagy takes a, you know, kind of uses those as a blueprint and gets Kareem Hunt one of these games where he gets six, seven, eight targets instead yeah. of two or three. Uh, so, okay, the Chiefs are favored, as we just covered. So the Titans have an upfield battle here. Uh, Evan, what can the Titans do? Do they have enough offensively to exploit any flaws in the Chiefs' defense? The Chiefs, so the Chiefs defense is not particularly dominant, right? By any means, yeah. Um, their pass rush wasn't great. You can definitely run on them. Um, but it's I, think, just I think I mainly asked that just because yeah. of how broken the Titans' offense has been for much of the season. Right, right. I mean, the, there are a couple of advantages I think that stand out. First of all, the, the Chiefs, because they play a lot of man. They, as long as Bob Sutton has been their defensive coordinator, they've been vulnerable to quarterback runs. Uh, and last week, at least, uh, and Marcus Mariota's rushing week has not been consistent. But last week against the Jags, he had a number of awesome runs. He actually had a number of runs where he tripped, and he could have gone for even longer gains. Um, he had one run late in the, the game that where he left put a stiff arm on a defender and that created a lot of highlight reels, but he had a bunch of other really good runs in the game uh, as well. Um, and the, the chiefs this season gave up, I think the 12th most rushing yards to opposing quarterbacks. Um, and then the, the chiefs run defense in their last three non week 17 games, cause they didn't play starters in week 17. So we can kind of leave that out. Uh, they gave up 4.8 yards per carry to, opposing RBs. They've given up a lot of rushing TDs uh, late in the season. So uh, there have been like a bunch of different, mostly negative assessments of Derrick Henry's week 17 game. I'm not sure. Did you get a chance to watch it? Uh, No, I did not. I mean, I saw the long pass, the Mm -hmm. long screen. I saw the uh, getting stuffed over and over. I think what his first Mm -hmm. three runs went for negative 15 yards. Yeah. 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 Um, I also and, saw and, Eric Decker yeah. drop about seven passes in that game as well. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much know what happened in the game without <laughs> watching it. Yeah. Um, so, and it wasn't just the first three runs. It was that where Henry got buried in the backfield. I mean, that happened like three or four more times in addition to that to really make his box score look terrible. He comes out, he says that he ran soft. I mean, I, hmm. I didn't really see that. Um, you know, I, I think I thought that maybe there was one run where I was like he could have been a lot more physical uh, with that. But I, my guess is that he just came out of the game and he knew that he didn't gain very many yards and he probably felt like he should have done a better job uh, eluding the the, bat, the 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 penetrators that were in his face. I mean, there were a lot of carries in that game, a lot of carries where he took the handoff and there was a Jaguars defender in his face. Um, and that's a hard way to live. And, uh, I, I did not come away with, see, for, for me, I think that sometimes there's a lot of confirmation bias that goes on. And I think that there are a lot of people that just don't think that Derrick Henry is very good. And then, so those of us who think he's very good, the, the Titans offensive line just got beaten by a Jaguars defense that prides itself and is very good at creating backfield penetration is very, very aggressive. Um, so I, and the, the chiefs now Chris Jones can do that for sure. Absolutely. He's as good as anybody on the Jaguars front, but they don't have like multiple guys that can do that. Like the Jaguars do. Yeah. Um, so I think that there are reasons to believe that Derrick Henry can have a much be- better game uh, this week against the Chiefs. I think they need to just keep giving it to him, and don't, you can't lose confidence in him. This is, you know, this is one of your advantages. Your passing game is trash. I mean, the, the Titans pass. The Titans have passed for 185 yards or fewer in four of their last six games. Um, you know they're they're not going to beat anybody with, with their passing game right now. You have to give the ball to Derrick Henry and uh, just keep smashing the Chiefs as much as you possibly can. And you, you need the game flow to go in your favor too. I mean, you certainly yeah. can't get get down by two scores and because you're, I don't think your passing game right now it's just it's very very dysfunctional. Uh, even those of us who really like Derrick Henry will tell you that he's not the type of running back, and few are like this that is great at creating behind the line of scrimmage. Um, He's best at, like you just talked about, when game flow is in their favor and being the closer uh, in the fourth quarter and just hammering defenses over and over. I also thought Delaney Walker had a really interesting thing to say this week. Uh, As a whole, what he was saying was this, that when Marcus escaped pressure, um, he compensated for uh, coaching in that he made a play. But I do think that compensating for poor coaching is one way to phrase the Titans offense uh, this season. So Rashard Matthews came back from, he had a hamstring injury in weeks 11 through 13. He's been real up and down, mostly down since coming back. You know, you, you wonder is his health all the way there. He's he only top 50 yards in one of the final four games. His targets were all over the place. Delaney Walker, he's going to be the best bet, I think, to have success against the Chiefs. Chiefs wound up giving up, I think, the, the 13th most yards in the NFL to tight ends. You know, it's not a super high number, but it's not it's not like a prohibitive matchup. And Delaney Walker was the, the Titans' uh, best receiving tight end or the best 
most consistent pass catcher over the course of the year. Corey Davis is going to get the most routes uh, at um, um, Darrell Revis. Yeah. Uh, Who? Yeah. So, you know, this is a big game. Corey Davis didn't score a touchdown all year. He went over 50 yards twice in 11 games. Uh, but that is a matchup potentially that the Titans could exploit. Uh, and then in the slot, Eric. Well, Evan, let me, let me, Eric, let me ask you real quick yeah, about Corey Davis. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I know fantasy-wise, production-wise, it was a disappointment of a year. But on the field, like for his individual play when you spotlighted him, was it a disappointing year for you as well? Uh, I want to go back in the off season and watch all of his targets, okay. uh, you know, just, just isolate him. You know, I always feel like I get a better read on an individual player and I watch them in isolation as opposed to just, you know, week to week doing the game pass thing. Um, but I would say that he def he flashed. I, I, I would just going off of, you know, doing the game pass thing week to week, I would say that he flashed. He also disappeared for long stretches, you know. So I, I would just say that it was an inconsistent rookie year. There are definitely reasons to explain good reasons to explain it away. He had hamstring problems off and on. The passing game as a whole wasn't productive. So how are you go- going to really expect the members of the passing game True. to be productive when it's not productive as a unit. Um, Eric Decker, I think if you're playing daily fantasy this week, he needs to be a guy that is on your radar against the chiefs. Uh, he has a significant size advantage on Steven Nelson in the slot, right? You know, late in the season, they, they really settled in with Richard Matthews back in the final four games is Richard Matthews, mostly outside Corey Davis, mostly outside Eric Decker, heavy slot percentage. Uh, and he went over 55 yards in three of the final four games. The last game, he, the only game he did not, of course, was last week, where, as you said, he had a lot of opportunities and missed him. He had one bad drop, and he had uh, an, an, an underthrown ball that he probably should have hauled in that would have gone for a big gain, and he had another kind of tough catch that you kind of expect Eric Decker to make. I don't think that Eric Decker is done. Uh, I think he can still play. Uh, and he has a good matchup this week against the Chiefs, and he's really cheap in DFS. Okay, now let's move on to the 8-15 game. But before we do that, two things. Uh, one, if you're enjoying this podcast at all, subscribe. And two, I'm in this blizzard, so if you hear the wind or sirens or whatever, it's chaos outside. So I apologize for any of those uh, environment sounds that you might be hearing. Okay, Evan, Atlanta at the L.A. Rams, I mean, it might be like the L.A. Lanta Rams because we don't know how many Falcons fans are going to show up to that stadium. Uh, point being, okay, Steve Zarkeesian versus Wade Phillips. You have Dan Quinn versus Sean McVay. If we're just talking about coordinators and coaches, a really, really fun matchup here. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I mean, there's not enough good things to say to, uh, to say about Sean McVay, even though everything has been said. I mean, he's just amazing. But really what... Jared Goff, it, I'm not going to say there, there are two different sides to him because there's not, right? But what we have seen when he faces really top defenses like the Minnesota Vikings, teams that, you know, either show something and switch their defenses or just line up in their standard defense and play sound football from there can, you know, give him trouble at times. So how do you think Jared Goff is going to face off 
against this Falcons defense on Saturday? I really like that point that you make because the Falcons fall into that latter category where they are just going to line up and play. I mean, they're not going to, you know, the, the guys are always in the same spots. You know, it's the cornerbacks are always in the same spots. They didn't use Desmond Trufant to go chase anybody this year. Um, you, you pretty much know who's going to be on the field for the Falcons down to down. Uh, I think the Falcons defense got, and that's not a, a shot against the Falcons. I mean, some of the best defenses in NFL history played that way. The Seahawks played that way, you know, of course, where, where Dan Quinn um, comes from. Uh, and remember in that Super Bowl against the uh, Broncos, uh, you know, Peyton Manning, that was, you know, toward the end of his career. And Peyton Manning was a master at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but he could do nothing against the Seahawks because there was nothing to really sort out because it was just the same thing every single play. Their their individual um, matchups and talents won out. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I mean, this Falcons defense I don't think is quite as talented, obviously, as the those old older Seahawks defenses. But I think it's they're a very talented defense, and I think I, I, they got they were very good against the run in terms of limiting rushing efficiency in the final two and a half months of the season. I mean, holding RBs to 3.4 yards per carry, they are very committed, I, I feel like, to this approach that they are willing to give up um, running back receptions, which are one of the highest percentage plays in the NFL uh, and one of the most plus expected value uh, plays in the NFL. And they've given up the most running back receptions in each of the last two years. Hmm. Uh, and they trust their athleticism at linebacker to make the tackles. And, but, you know, facing a guy like Todd Gurley, I mean, Todd Gurley, first of all, he got better over the course of the season. I mean, early in the season, he was kind of just living on, off volume, looking like the same back that he was last year. Toward the end of the season, he was a wrecking crew. Yeah. Uh, and he looked like the running back that we all fell in love with coming out of Georgia. Uh, and, you know, tackling him is going to be easier said than done. And it doesn't, it doesn't help a defense when the swings or outlet passes to Todd Gurley look in rhythm of the offense and like mm -hmm. look a part of the offense instead of like a last ditch effort, which it does almost universally around the league. Like that's what's really stood out to me is that when the quarterback does go through a couple reads, and then he gets to Todd Gurley as the outlet after holding the ball for three or four seconds, he still has three, four, five yards of room to run in. And it's absolutely insane to me how that's still possible. And, of course, one of the big, you know, the big steps forward for Todd Gurley this year was his usage in the passing game. Uh, he finished the NFL, or he finished fifth among running backs in receptions, second in receiving yards, led all running backs in receiving touchdowns, um, you know, last year he would lose passing down snaps to Benny Cunningham, which is just like the silliest thing to think about in hindsight. But that's how, you know, Jeff Fisher and Rob Boris uh, played. Uh, but the, the Rams were very committed to, to using him in the passing game. I mean, I remember Greg Rosenthal, uh, you know, of NFL.com, formerly of Roto World. He went to Rams, uh, was it minicamp or OTAs or right. – uh, it might have even been early in training camp, and one of the main things that he observed uh, was that they were using Todd Gurley so much in the passing game. 
Uh, and that has been, I think, a key to unlocking him. Uh, and now you're facing this run, this defense that is essentially willing to concede uh, catches to running backs, and you have this running back now that is breaking tackles at a, at a ridiculous rate. So that is a significant, I think, uh, edge toward the Rams. Um, I think that even, even the though Deion Jones yeah. is, is really freaking good, like Todd Garley's. Just yeah, he's awesome. He's so awesome. He's so awesome. Um, we're going to see a lot of Robert Woods against Trufant. Trufant in the last couple of games gave up a deep touchdown to, or a long touchdown to Ted Ginn. Uh, he gave up a shorter touchdown to Adam Humphreys. In the last game, he got beat by Devin Funchess for a big gain down the right sideline. He's a good player. He's not an impenetrable cornerback. Um, I think that Robert Woods can have a decent enough game here. Cooper Cup in the slot, I think, will be key. Brian Poole did not have uh, – he, he, he had an okay season overall in the slot. Um, Cooper Cup had 23 red zone targets on the year. The next closest on the Rams had 10. Yeah. Uh, so, and and Cooper Cup also led the team in, uh, in targets inside the 10 yard line. Falcons gave up six receiving touchdowns to wide receivers in their last four games. I think the Cooper Cup, if you're looking for a guy in daily fantasy that that can score a touchdown, uh, Cooper Cup would be in very good position. Sammy Watkins was just not productive you know they acquired him uh right before the season and we see wide receivers all the time struggle on new teams that was the case with sammy watkins jared goff just never got comfortable throwing him the rock Uh, but he did end up scoring a bunch of touchdowns i think he had like seven or eight touchdowns uh on the season Uh, but his production was very very limited whenever robert woods was in the lineup so He's he's just a, a boomer bust guy, kind of you know big play dependent, touchdown dependent guy, and so that's kind of what you're dealing with. And obviously, Grady Jarrett needs a big game. Tack McKinley needs a big game. Vic Beasley needs a big game. Yeah, Adrian Claiborne, so on and so forth, right? Because mm-hmm. forcing golf out of structure, off his timing, off his spot is is kind of important for this offense. Um, okay. Yeah, Gr- Grady Jarrett, by the way, was a monster last week. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just destroyed Amini Sotolu. Awesome. Just uh, destroyed him. Uh, okay, let's go to the Falcons offense. Uh, uh, Devontae Freeman, I guess he's practiced the last two days. Um, mm-hmm. Julio Jones seems to be healthy. Um, outside of those two names, I was really impressed with Matt Ryan last Sunday against the Panthers. Like they got a lot of disruption up front, but Matt Ryan was able to uh, keep his eyes up, find space, and get the ball downfield when they needed to, and that can be really, really uh, tough to do. Do you think that they have enough to take advantage of Wade Phillips in this Rams defense? I think that at first glance, no. Um, you know, the Rams had one of the best pass defenses in the NFL. Russell Wilson wound up uh, outscoring all fantasy quarterbacks by two and a half points, almost two and a half points on the season per game, which is just a ridiculous margin at the quarterback position. You really don't see that very often um, because quarterbacks are always just very bunched up in terms of how many points they're scoring. Russell Wilson outscored the field by almost two and a half points and uh, scored like 23 and a half per game. Uh, But when he faced the Rams, he scored 13 and a half and 12 points. Uh, the Rams, other than that, they really kind of faced a, a weak schedule 
but they took care of business, and when they faced Rust, they shut them down. Uh, so, you know, just going off their body of work, I mean, they had a ton of sacks. You know, they were top five in the NFL in sacks. Um, they allowed, like, the a bottom five passer rating. Um, you know, from a statistical standpoint, like, this looks like a real tough matchup for Matt Ryan. I think that the there are some edges that you can kind of identify um, in the receiver core because Julio Jones, he's definitely going to be matched up with Tremaine Johnson. Uh, Tremaine Johnson is a big dude, 6'2", 204. A lot of people, I remember when he was coming out, a lot of people thought he would play safety coming out of Montana, but he has been a cornerback, uh, and we are going to see him definitely matched up with Julio Jones. He wound up giving up the fourth most yards among cornerbacks in the NFL this year. He was targeted a lot, only gave up one touchdown, uh, but that's just going to be a great battle, and you know, it can be like, you remember on Thanksgiving, Marvin Jones against Xavier Rhodes, like it can just be a great battle. And Xavier Rhodes had great coverage on a lot of those plays. And Marvin Jones just made the play. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so it's just, it it could go either way, you know, and it's, who who knows what's going to happen. It's just going to be a great, great battle. I think, uh, Muhammad Sanu, I think has the best pure matchup in the slot against the Rams, Nikel Roby Coleman, very good player, but significantly undersized, 5'7", 169, Mohamed Sanu, 6'2", 211. Uh, despite the strong play of Nikel Roby Coleman, the, the Rams did give up a bunch of big games to slot receivers over the course of the year. Uh, so I think that Mohamed Sanu has a pretty good matchup. Austin Hooper's been quiet. Um, no touchdowns since week nine. Uh, hasn't gone over 50 yards since week four um, and then the the other pass catchers for them are Justin Hardy's been playing a lot but not getting targeted very much Taylor Gabriel was 13 percent of the snaps last week uh, he he's a guy that really, he got hurt right he pulled his hamstring yeah and and his his uh, production or his usage just sank yeah. without Kyle Shanahan I, I I hope we'll see him in San Francisco next year I'd I, I think that he's not necessarily redundant with Marquise Goodwin. I think that they could use both of those guys. Um, the running back, so it, it, as you mentioned, it, it, it like it's the the week began with I think that there was reason for skepticism on Devontae Freeman, but on Thursday he practiced fully, and it's looking good for them. The way that you can exploit the Rams' defense, I think, is on the ground. Uh, they are were a great pass defense, and they were very leaky versus the run in terms of rushing efficiency allowed. That didn't come back to hurt them because they had a lead in a lot of games, et cetera. Uh, but I think that Devontae Freeman can have some success on the ground against them. Um, and then one thing I noticed from last week, you know, in contrast to the rest of the year, was how much the Falcons used Devontae Freeman in the passing game. I'm not sure why that was not a priority this year under Steve Sarkeesian. I think if you were going to have a – and I think there are plenty of reasons for gripes with uh, Steve Sarkeesian, but that would be my biggest gripe. Like why did they not feed these backs who can catch in the – you know, and be dynamic in space? Why did they not feed these guys more in the passing game? Well, in Week 17, they did with Devontae Freeman. I mean, he had plays where he lined up as a receiver. He was running – circle routes it wasn't just a bunch of checkdowns you know he was he, he was running routes and catching passes in, in his pattern uh, and I think that 
that was a positive development uh, heading into the wild card round. Yeah, and I think the biggest differences you can see between Cal Shanahan and Steve Sarkeesian are the names you mentioned. The difference in Taylor Gabriel's season and how uh, the Falcons were able, and it's a rare thing to use and make relevant two running backs almost each and every week. And this year, it really wasn't that case. I know they were injured. I know there were fumbles, yada, 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 but it wasn't even close um, this season. All right, Evan. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, I know that's a lot of names for all of you out there, but there's even more in Evan's matchups column. You can go check it out on rotoworld.com. And again, subscribe if you have not. And coming right after this mini, mini break is Rotopat. And welcome back. As you know, we covered the first two Saturday games with Evan Silva. Now we are back with Roto, Pat, Patrick Bennett, Darty. Uh, Pat, first game, 105, game of the weekend, Bills at Jaguars. I'll keep it simple. How can the Jaguars win this game? What do they need to do in order to win this first playoff game since the David Garrard era? I'm just guessing with that, but I believe that's the truth. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm disappointed more people aren't referring to this game as the Marcel Darius Bowl because um, that's what it is. The Doug Marone Bowl. Uh, it's the same yeah, thing. That's true. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of bowl connections here, isn't there? Uh, I mean, this, the, the the most the single most important factor about the game, as we know, is LaShawn McCoy's health. Um, to answer your question, what do the Jaguars need to do? Um, they need to do what they did all year. They need to hide Blake Bortles. Um, five of his 13 interceptions came in the past final two weeks of the season. That's uh, 38% of his season total. Uh, it happened to coincide with Marquise Lee's absence. Mm-hmm. Um, he supposedly – he, no one said he's going to play, but he supposedly has a chance to play. But it seems like if he does play, it was going to be highly limited. Um, so they, you know, they can't have another meltdown game from Blake Bortles. But – uh, I what 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 do the Jaguars need to do? I mean, there's kind of a, a team that really really limped into the playoffs. You know, hashtag exposed by Jimmy Garoppolo. The running games and kind of dysfunctional. Right. And but I mean, I think if both teams play their games, uh, the Jaguars will win. They basically it's it's going to come down to which quarterback. Uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor's not known as a, like a mistakes guy, but I was to say which quarterback makes fewer mistakes, right. which. I guess in Tyrod Taylor's case, just uh, he's got to make some plays. You well, know, he's got so, a reputation as a playmaker, hasn't made a ton of plays this year. I, I think that there was kind of this misconception with Blake Bortles at portion of the season because for us in this fantasy bubble, like he had strong weeks as a fantasy starter, but I wouldn't say he had like strong weeks as a quarterback starter in the NFL. No, like no. a lot of those situations where he succeeded in were like clean pockets and you know acrobatic catches in many cases but yeah a lot of times it's playing from ahead too exactly so so to me what you get from Blake Bortles is adequate play like at the ceiling or play that can lose you the football game like there were times especially early on in the season where they would run 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 and then whenever they would ask Blake Bortles to throw the ball on second or third down or whatever it was it would completely halt all offensive momentum that they had, and it was just horrific. Yes. So, uh, obviously, they need to get the running game going. They need to get Leonard Fournette going. Hopefully, he reels off a few long runs, which he has done at times this year, but a lot of them, you know, were three yards in a cloud of dust in some cases. Uh, and then for the Bills in the opposite end, 
it's a very good question. They need LaShawn McCoy to play, and they need Kelvin Benjamin to play, and they need both of those players to make big plays, which is a big ask when you're considering their current you're gonna, situation you're gonna and who they're playing play against. Kelvin, you're going to get a big play from Kelvin Benjamin. That would be like the biggest of asks. Right. Um, you, know, you don't like to make blanket, blanket statements, but it's hard to see how the Bills have any sort of chance to win. Not only if LaShawn McCoy doesn't play, but if he plays, you know, and it's only like 70% or something, it's just, I, I, I think it's too much of an ask to a, ask a Tyrod Taylor led offense to win a game on the road without LaShawn McCoy. So, uh, if LaShawn doesn't play, uh, you don't even need to watch the game. You can just wait for Saints-Panthers. What, what, you don't think backup running back Mike Tolbert can get it done? <laughs> the Tubagoo, you know. This, this is the truly the moment where it will come back to bite the Bills that they had Mike freaking Tolbert as a backup running back. <laughs> like, he hadn't even played true running back for multiple seasons with the Panthers. He was their fullback. Right. No. So yeah. I understand that you really don't think you necessarily need a high priced or high pick or whatever at the backup running back spot. But you're putting out Mike Tolbert, who seven years ago was a worthy backup running back. Right now, he's surely not. And you might have to use him as your starting running back right now. I mean, it's pretty uh, you know, astounding that like a backup running back, you can't even have yourself like a. You know, like a Devonte Booker or something. It's like the first name that came to my mind. Like, how do you not have a player not even like as good as Devonte Booker as your backup running back? How is it? I, 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 I'm still salty though that like Jonathan Williams had this great preseason, and then they just cut him for no reason. And I know he hasn't really landed with anyone yet. He was in the practice squad, and he's on another roster right now, but he hasn't done anything. But still, um, would you rather have a? To, before you move on, would you rather have for your backup running back? Would you rather have Mike Tolbert? <laughs> Or would you rather have Steven Ridley, who resurfaced in Week 17 wow. with the Steelers? Didn't Steven Ridley like run all over someone last week? Yeah, he had a pretty good, decent game against the Browns. I think he had That's like who it was. That's I mean, who it you was. know, granted, he's playing an FCS team um, in the Browns, <laughs> oh but still. no, if it was an FCS team, then Carson Wentz would be their quarterback. That's a good point. Yeah, he had 17 <laughs> carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. What can Hugh Jackson do for you? Um, okay, a couple things. One, Zay Jones had a really disappointing season, as we know. Hope maybe, perhaps he, you know, this is a new season and he starts off his first playoff game. But I'm still somewhat excited for him uh, in his sophomore year, even though his catch rate was absolutely abysmal. And Pat, here's my question to end it with you: Do you think this Jacksonville defense is maybe one of the top three you've ever seen since your time covering football? Um, I thought you say watching football. I said watching football, definitely not, because I saw the Bucks, saw the Ravens, saw the Seahawks. Um, since I've been covering, I mean, they don't scare me as much as those those Seahawks defenses that terrorized the league a few years ago. Um, say in the past two or three years, they're in the top three, but I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not really ready to put uh, this current Jaguars team like in a historical perspective yet. I mean, two weeks after they just got like torn to shreds by Jimmy Garoppolo. That's true. Um, so, and what Jimmy I mean, did th- was a lot of underneath stuff. So maybe the bills try to do that, but then they've also been susceptible to big plays down the field. We saw the Seahawks do that, but that's when the Jaguars were up by a yeah, lot. Of I do. And before like anyone gets salty, I mean, I do think the Jaguars, I mean, we're far we're and away good. the best defense in the league this year. And should be, you know, they're kind of licking their wo- they're licking their wounds over the past two weeks. I think they're going to be up to the task of shutting down Tyrod Taylor in Jacksonville. Well, all your seventy five year old friends will enjoy this game because it truly is 
run the ball and play defense, and that's all we're going to see in this one. Yes. What, what, yeah, I mean, is either a quarterback going to complete 20 passes? I mean, that's probably a pretty wow. high. That might be too high of an over-under. The over-under for completions for both should probably be like 18, I yeah, feel like. that's an interesting one. Uh, meanwhile, if you, we can move on, the 440 game on Sunday is a very, very good one on paper. I'm not sure how good it will be on the field. Uh, the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints, obviously the Saints, enter this one as heavy, heavy favorites. I believe it's seven and a half points they're favored by. Um, Pat, what do you think the Saints have to do to win this game, a game that they've already won twice this season? They just gotta, they gotta do what they've been doing, Josh. That's my orig- real original analysis there. But I wish I could set like an over under on the number of rushing yards the Saints need to win. Like I feel like maybe if they hit one fifty, well, they probably here's will something. not lose. The the Panthers have not allowed an individual rusher to reach one hundred yards since I believe like week sixteen or week fifteen of two seasons ago. Um, wow. So, but you know that just means. Mark Ingram would get 85, Alvin Kamara would get 70. I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> and a lot of that happened early on the season, like when these two teams met in week three. I mean, that was a three-headed backfield for the Saints. Adrian Peterson got more carries than Alvin Kamara did. I think Kamara only got like two carries. He got more you are, I'm looking it up five. right now. Adrian Peterson had nine. <laughs> this is this was kind of uh, – Didn't that feel like two seasons of- ago? Yeah, this kind of foreshadowed where the season was going. Adrian Peterson had nine carries for 33 yards, and Alvin Kamara had two for 37. Yep. They went for 25 and 12 yards. Yep. And then they only played just a few weeks later, uh, a few weeks ago, I should say, in week 13, and Alvin Kamara just tore them up, just broke like every single tackle. Um, I'll just lay it out here because obviously I watch the Panthers every Sunday. Uh, what Steve Wilkes said ahead of that week 13 matchup because no one really necessarily knows exactly what teams are going to be in week three. Maybe that's kind of the, the place where we finally have an identity for many of these teams. Anyways, in week 13, he said the goal, and again, I will repeat that, the goal is to put the game in Drew Brees' hands, to force Drew Brees to throw the football and for him to beat them in the passing game. And I understand it, right? Because if a team can just run all over you, then it's an easy win. But consider that. Right. Consider that for a moment. One of the most prolific passers in NFL history. The other defense wants to ask him to win the football game for his team. And then you have Michael Thomas, who I mean, and this storyline completely flew under the radar. The most receptions in the first two years of any player in the history of the NFL. Like, that's absolutely crazy. It is. And it speaks to what happens when uh, like Drew Brees is. It gets a, like a narrower supporting cast all of a sudden instead of being like seven to eight pl- a players deep. You know, now it's like what two to th- what, what do we call how deep his targets totem pole is now? Two to three, three to four. I mean, Ted Ginn's the number two I, receiver. Yeah, I would say one and then to the backs. I mean, it's it's kind of that yeah. simple. Maybe you have a few design things because they I, I would even say Ted Ginn's gotten phased out quite a bit because he had those he weeks has. where he was he more has. of a not reception monster, but got more receptions closer to the line of scrimmage um, and he's not quite. Maybe this A dot isn't exactly indicative of this, but I don't so think we, he was used the same as in previous years. Who wants this game to become a shootout less? The the Panthers oh, or the man. Saints? You know, because I feel like that would have been a very obvious question, like question in years past. You don't want to get in a shootout in the Saints, but like this, the Saints do they feel like a like a thirty point offense to you anymore? I mean, I, I know they scored thirty points a ton this season, but like uh, I, I think they have more potential to get there. Um, 
Did, did you see, and I'm going to call him out because that's just what we do. Uh, did you see what Colin Coward said on his show earlier this week? That I did not. Okay. Well, I'll <laughs> it might surprise you. Uh, he said that he's not worried about Cam Newton's performance because the Panthers do not rely on Cam Newton to win football games. Exactly. No, quote. not at all. Yeah, exact not quote. At all. Not at all. Um, he's not literally the entire offense. No, I mean it's not like he's playing with <laughs> Britton Burson and Kalen Clay and Russell Shepard as his wide receiver twos or anything. And not to mention Jonathan Stewart. Is exactly. The, the load or, carrier. Or every time Christian McCaffrey gets the football, it's because Cam Newton threw it to him. Right? Yes. It's not like Great. he has Greg Olson out there who right now was is running like Jason Witten because he can't get open because of this broken foot. It's not like he has Devin Funches as the entire passing offense at this moment. Like that whole stuff is just amazing to me. And I I believe Derek Klassen, I know I'm hogging the microphone here, but it's fine. Uh, Derek Klassen wrote this piece and I completely agree with the premise that uh, Cam Newton must play a perfect game in order to win the Panthers to win. And yes, it's absolutely true because he, he carries absolutely that offense. Although I like that you're so dialed into the Panthers that you know Colin Coward takes on the Panthers. Um, yeah, it, I, it just popped up on my feed, and I just said that we're watching different sports because we are. If, if, I, so to me, the key for the Panthers, I mean, is can they can they get enough from Greg Olson and can they get enough from Christian McCaffrey? And like you said, Olson still hasn't looked like himself uh, before the pod. I was doing it like a literally like a two to three minutes of research and um, the wow, Saints. That, that's the investment. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And the Saints, the Saints, because I was like, you know, what kind of matchup is this for Greg Olson? And uh, the Saints allowed the fewest yards in the league to tight ends this year. Interesting. So that bodes kind of poorly for Greg Olson and de facto tight end Devin Funchess. And uh, I, I will say, I think the the Saints defense has gotten worse as the season's gone along. Has, I don't know if has. any numbers have backed that up, but I think a major part of it is that at times they've lost the pass rush, right? Because they somewhat had a pass rush early on. Um, and they've always, this entire season, had really good corner play. I know Marshawn Lattimore missed some time and Ken Crawley missed some time, yada, yada, whatever. But I would actually say they're probably worse off defensively now than they have been. But if you're facing Matt Khalil, and I believe Cameron Jordan lines up opposite Daryl Williams on the right side. But, I mean, you know, Matt Khalil can make a, an adequate edge rusher look like a pretty good one each week. So Yeah, and like, not to, like, the Panthers, I mean, the same Legitimately improved this year, but kind of like a lot of the the Saints defense has improved. Narrative was matchup driven. They, they they had a stretch in, where they got like they had the Dolphins, they had the Brett Hundley Packers, they had the Bears, they had the Bucks, they had the Bills. So that that was like that was all in a row, kind of in the middle of the season, and it was kind of that stretch that really fueled like the Saints defense has improved. Narrative. Well, now, granted, you know, a year or two ago. Uh, you know, they wouldn't have dominated. Like they, they would have been a matchup to attack for those struggling teams, as opposed as a matchup the Saints, you know, would take advantage of and exploit and like do their job, so to speak. So the defense has improved, but I think uh, people were like so astounded by like a Saints defense that wasn't abjectly terrible that they kind of overrated like how truly improved, like how truly effective of a defense it was. And I, see, I don't think. It's defense, you know, it's going to send uh, shutters through anyone in the NFC playoffs. I will say in Evans' matchups column, he does say that New Orleans' pass defense finished strong with a shutdown rookie corner, Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Holding enemy passers to a 4-9 to nine touchdown to INT ratio in the final month of the season. We know that Cam is obviously coming off probably his career worst performance where he threw three INTs. But 
including the rest of the game since they traded Kelvin Benjamin. I believe he has like a 12 to 5 TD to INT ratio with three rushing touchdowns and 500 rushing yards as well. Oh, one more Colin Coward fact for you, Pat. Uh, Another reason why I said the Panthers don't rely on Cam Newton is because they have the number five rushing offense in the NFL. Uh, what, why what, is that? What, what he what he forgot to mention <laughs> is that Cam Newton is the team's leading rusher, probably by like two hundred yards, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna. Look, I think I think he was probably seriously their leading rusher by two or three hundred yards. And, and he also cited Curtis Samuel, who was on the field for like five games this season. Yeah, um, he, he was only the leading rusher, quote unquote, only by seventy yards. But yes. Uh. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we both expect the Saints to win this game. They're obviously at home. Um. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I weighed in. I weighed in. I said when I was kind of thinking out loud. I set the over under of rushing yards the Saints needed to win at one fifty. Their their two rushing totals this year against uh, the Panthers, in which they went two and zero, were one forty eight and one forty nine. So I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna lower the over under to one forty eight from one fifty. Uh, I get I think one forty eight and a half will get it done. Win the game, yes. Um, who has the better chance of winning Sunday, the Bills or the Panthers, the two underdogs? Definitely the Panthers. Uh, there's way fewer weaknesses. In the, I mean, they have a lot of weaknesses, but their weaknesses aren't as glaring as uh, as the Bills' are. And, you know, there's kind of an old adage in football. Uh, a lot, most old adages are completely worthless, but uh, it's really hard to beat the same team three times in a season. So the Saints will be up against uh, that old adage. But... Uh, yeah, I would be far, far less surprised. I wouldn't even be surprised if the Panthers win, to be honest. I mean, I mean, what, what I mean you're anticipating the Saints surprising? to win, but you know. Yeah, I'm anticipating the Saints to win, but it's not like it would, I would be like blown away if the Panthers you know, beat the Saints. I, I think um, the key for the Panthers right. is for James Bradbury to have a good game. I was expecting a big jump from James Bradbury this year, and he hasn't taken it at all. Um, and I would expect him to line up opposite Michael Thomas and – Michael Thomas had at least one touchdown in like 70 and 83 yards in both the matchups this season. So yeah, Michael Thomas is a legitimately elite player. A very, very good player. Uh, comped him to Michael Crabtree coming out of college, and that's probably underselling him uh, a little bit where he's at right he's now. He's already had Michael Crabtree's career year each of his first two years. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say he wasn't my wide receiver one that year, but I believe I had him as like the 19th overall player, and then he certainly didn't go into the second round. So good on you, NFL. <laughs> Um, all right, Pat. I think you're saying is you need to be a GM. No, I certainly no, 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 no. <laughs> that didn't, that's like cap management and stuff like that. that I can't even do my taxes. I can though. Cause of TurboTax, but that was a free ad. Uh, all right, Pat. Thanks a lot, dude. That was good for two or three minutes of, uh, prep. We should do that. Yeah. each week. <laughs> you're saying I should do less prep. Yes. Um, no, 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 no. I'm telling you to do less work each week. <laughs> All right, I approve. I like it. Uh, if you enjoyed this at all, be sure to subscribe. If you're already subscribed, please rate and review. And we'll talk to you all next week. Enjoy football. See ya.